My mama would say, you gotta fight for what is right. To her I would say, I wanna give back the world some light. the end of Thursday, September 7th in the year 2023. I have a lot of, uh, I think just some good pieces to play tonight. I think you'll like them, just some perspectives on where we really need to be walking. I feel more than ever that in this time that we're in right now, God is really preparing us for something big. And I think as we're stepping in, it's a, it's been a bold step by the framing of much of the origins of the church but we're not intended to be sidelined in this time. And I think that's the biggest challenge that many people will have in faith is that in waiting for the rapture and waiting for whatever, the end of times, 
that's to me the disempowerment strategies that have been infected into the church. And, I, and the more that I dig into this, the more I realize how misguided that message has been. This is a time that we are here intentionally for this time and this place. God has us here. We're part of a warrior class. And so much of the psyop that has happened in this time has been to convince us that we're not any of that. So I don't find it any accident that this Bards Fest has become a, an increasing attraction to many of the guys that I know in the special operations community that are coming because they're feeling that call too as warriors in Christ. And I think this is a really big moment in our time to embrace this walk, to start stepping into a greater a greater walk with Jesus using greater weapons of war than we've ever imagined. And that's anchored in our faith and our belief in what the authorities are given by us, given to us by God. Before we get going, one thing is, you know, we, we have a time right now that sleep is getting increasingly difficult. And it's one of those things that as we are pressed with time and we are pressed with the amount of things that are being put before us, you have to get good sleep. You need a good sleep system, and that good sleep system is going to come from my pillow. The best pillows on the market, in my opinion, my pillow 2.0. It is the best pillow. And it's a pillow to really enjoy, a pillow to use, and I'm just going to let Mike tell you about it. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The my pillow guy. And you're looking good. I'm still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever, my pillow 2.0. When I invented my pillow, it had everything you'd ever want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. My pillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature regulating thread. My pillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of my pillow. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a MyPillow or not, you need to get the brand new MyPillow 2.0. Call or go to MyPillow.com now. Use your promo code, and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit MyPillow.com. And so you know it, MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Promo code is Bards, B-A-R-D-S. Check it out. You'll be very happy you did. It's a it's a good thing. Now, we know that New York City was very proud at one point of being a sanctuary city. And this is one of these ways that God's working right now in really bringing accountability, in my opinion, to the people that want something and think that they're above the law. New York City has an arrogance that goes with it. And I'll speak that openly to anybody that lives there. They think that New York, or used to think that New York was all that. And there was architecturally good reason, and New York has a flair that was unique, but that New York is gone. And it's gone for a multitude of reasons, but one of the things they're now facing is a complete refacing of this city. This is a piece here from Mayor Adams from New York City I'm going to play and it's amazing what they're having to confront now because of their policies of this 
arrogant liberalism that thought that somehow they would never have to face what they wanted for everybody else. It sounded good to be a sanctuary city. It sounds good until it starts to come home. And in the classic hypocrisy that tends to drive the liberal mentality in this nation, what is good for thee is not good for me. So it's always about having to confront things by pushing it off to go a different way. And this is a the post under this video that I'm going to play in a second from Elon Musk reads this. The public still doesn't understand the magnitude of the problem. The mayor correctly points out that people from the entire world are using the southern border to, in, uh, to enter illegally. Just wait what it looks like five years from now. Take a listen to this piece. Support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just in Venezuela. Now we're getting Ecuador. Now we're getting Russian-speaking coming through Mexico. Now we're getting uh, Western Africa. Now we're getting people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City. And everyone is saying it's New York City's problem. Every community in this city is going to be impacted. We have a $12 billion deficit that we're going to have to cut Every service in this city is going to be impacted. All of us. And so I say to you, as I turn it over to you, this is some, some of the most educated, some of the most knowledgeable, probably more of my commissioners and deputy commissioners and chiefs live in this community. So as you ask me a question about migrants, tell me what role you played. How many of you organized to stop what they're doing to us? How many of you were part of the movement to say, we're seeing what this mayor is trying to do and they're destroying New York City? It's gonna to come to your neighborhoods. All of us are gonna be impacted by this. I said it last year when we had 15,000. I'm telling you now with 110,000, the city we knew we're about to lose. And we're all in this together. All of us. Staten Island said, send them out to Manhattan. Manhattan is saying, send them out to Queens. Queens is saying, send them out to Brooklyn. No. It's not the game we can play. Open the floor up. Not the game that we can play, but it's the game they constantly want to play until now suddenly they have to face the reality of that was lived in Arizona, those the thing that think places like New Mexico, Texas, California, even Oregon. I mean, this is what they're having to confront now, which was always being nice because you were New York, you could be a sanctuary city, you could be selective, but that's not going to happen anymore. The liberal institutions are falling apart. And this is going to be one of these great awakening moments that the liberals have to come to realize that 
as they push for institutions of God made by the hands of man, it will fail. These are idols that will fall. And as they seek to consume for themselves, it will be God that will let them have that consumption and they will find out what pain and suffering is like because it's, they don't want to turn to him. There's only one way this ends. And it ends with them having to be humbled. And that's going to be a painful walk. Right now, Harvard was the premier liberal university. Harvard was ranked at the worst institution for free speech. Out of a score of 10, Harvard got a score of zero. I'm not exaggerating. And that is truly a statement of where liberal America has gone. Get this. I went to Oregon State University. It's what the liberals frequently called a cow college because it was a land-grant college and agriculture was a predominant feature. In the this recent review that was done in a score, I'm sorry, it's a score of 100, Harvard got zero. Oregon State, that cow college that liberals like to make fun of, was in the top five of best places for free speech. Things aren't falling in place the way that they expected. Or maybe they are. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is we as Americans have to start taking a real serious look at what our country has become and what's driving that force of our country. Now, in the previous hour, we heard of this agenda, which is a transhumanist agenda. And unfortunately, much of what we're seeing here in the collapse of society is going to fuel that concept of transhumanism. And the reason is, is that this concept of transhumanism gives us, is fed when we can point to the fact that humans by themselves fail. So they will try to place in the gap the idea of an artificial intelligence greater thinking machine that will allow us to evolve to be something greater, which you won't hear the liberal class say and the elites say, which is the pedophile elites, is that we need to place God in that gap. But that's exactly what needs to happen. And what's, what they're trying to do here is to blend away the uniqueness of who we are and trying to diminish the greatness of who we are. Our churches, to a large degree, are corrupted. The message that I hear too often coming from a pulpit is, you're not worthy. And you know I beat on that regularly because, yes, we are worthy. God is great. God did not sacrifice his son for a, a bunch of unworthy plebes. We are very worthy. What he's asked is that we be humble before him. What he's asked is that we don't have pride in our life, but rather we have the respect and the humility to go before the throne to admit our failures so that he can help us become greater. And it's through the blood of Christ that we've been reborn. And to reborn is to leave that old behind and to completely submit ourselves to that walk in Jesus. But Jesus isn't a smelly hippie, some weak, limp-wristed person. He was the son of God. He was mighty in what he did. And that's who we are. And the authorities given to us are not small. We weren't sent here and placed here in this time and this place with like, hey, y'all, we're just going to put you to the vampires, let them suck your blood and be done with it. 
We were placed here in this time, in this place with the authorities to overcome evil. We, had the, we have the authority over all evil to step on snakes and scorpions. And we have the authority to do greater works than he. Peter reminds us of that, that we can. Not that it's impossible, but rather that it's very possible. Step out of the boat and walk, follow me. And he steps out of the boat and walks on water as he puts his eyes on Jesus. That message, that metaphor is undeniable and cannot be missed. And yet, we don't hear that message. We don't hear the message of the greatness of who we are. We hear the message constantly about peace at any cost and acceptance of all things and that we're, we're supposed to become this vanilla thing that somehow greatness in the body of Christ is, is a forgiveness that says we can accept everybody and everything and every color and every way and don't worry about it. And what that ends up being is truly the most devious undermining of the Christian faith of that with Christ and that is, do as thou will, which is truly the satanic push. We have to be stronger and more discerning as Christians. We have to be bold and fearless, and we have to be able to call things out. Today, in my Bright on TV show, and I'll be honest, it wasn't. it's a show that I really pushed in hard, and I pushed in hard because it's what we have to do. And when I say pushed in hard, what did I push in hard on? The entire LGBTQ movement including very specifically the gays and the lesbians, not just the transgenders, not just the pedophiles, but the whole movement. Because it's conveniently become a block of change and a block that ultimately as people, what they're after, whether they want to admit it or not, the ultimate goal in that whole process is to get to the kids, whether it's to groom them or whether it's to, to molest them or whether it's to change them and mutilate them. That is where they're after. Because if they don't, they don't have an ability to regenerate themselves. They don't procreate. We have to get back to being strong. And you have to stand up in the face of evil and know that you're going to have things spit back at you. You're going to be called a racist. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be called a Bible thumper. You're going to be called a, a Jesus freak. Okay. But we're not standing here on some sort of pulpit that's of sand. We're standing on the scriptures in the way that God intended us to be and the mightiness of the family and as warriors in this world that are facing off against a human form that's being driven by a demonic force. And if we can't recognize that, we will lose. And I know that we, I say, I say it at the end of every show and I know we say it, God always wins, but I need to remind us all here in this moment that God won with Noah, but there was only like nine left. We have an obligation in this hour to stand up boldly and to speak the truth. And if it's uncomfortable for some people, I'm sorry. And the whole point of this is we have to stop being on our heels because we have a point of view that's biblical and they want to tell us that it's wrong and we have to start putting them on their heels to say, you are not walking in a biblical lens. This world was designed to be in a biblical lens. And as we start to look across the spectrum of from moderate to, to, to all the way from the spectrum of patriot accounts, people that are 
interested in America, let's put it that way. What you're seeing constantly is the percolation up of references to scriptures. And more and more, as the scriptures are, are realized, people are starting to open their eyes and say, whoa, wait a minute, maybe there's something here. I don't know if you ever listened to the Tim cast. He's, he's not a Christian. I mean, he's not, a, I don't think he's accepted Christ. But boy, is he getting it pounded on his show lately. Take a listen to this. It's quite interesting. It seems like things are as crazy as ever and people are acting a bit strange. And I don't know if it's because this internet thing is causing us to go a little bit nuts as we're staring at the screens and not getting enough vitamin D. But I do wonder if it's having an effect on us. Um, and I should look, and if you give me a second, I'm going to bring up a, a certain verse from the Bible. I'm not some Bible thumper, but there's something in it that alludes to how the people are going to behave in the end times. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, I think someone cited it to us yesterday, actually. Really? Yeah, read it. Um, well, there's a couple. So first of all, let, let me start with this one. This is... Um, Isaiah 520. Uh, Woe to those that call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And this is in the context of end times. Is this not the upside clown world that we live in right now? Actually, now that you mention it like that, yeah. Yeah. And and I'm an agnostic, like not a religious guy at all. So Let me do one more. 2 Timothy 3. But understand this. In the last days, terrible times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without the love of good, traitorous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, Mm -hmm. having a form of godliness in themselves but denying its power. Turn away from these. Oh, that sounds like the left. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Sounds like the (laughs) world. You see how that's starting to happen. It's interesting. And here, I just love that. I'm not a Bible thumper, whatever that's supposed to mean. So I guess if you quote Scripture and if you believe in Scripture, you're a Bible thumper, but it's okay if you are if you quote the Scripture, but you're not a Bible thumper. See, that's And that's okay because that's literally the Holy Spirit working right there. That's sowing seeds. They can't deny what is in the book. And the words are spoken and they must agree. And there, that's, that's truly the sowing of seeds. But where we have to be is unabashedly strong in those moments. And it's great to see this sort of thing come in. But we have to be stronger in, in our world, be more committing. I, someone said to me the other day, I'm, I, I don't remember how they were phrasing it, and I just said, why don't you just say you're a follower of Jesus? And you're like, oh, that's that's a good idea. I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> it is. And I like it for a lot of reasons because when I speak it, for those people that have that trigger response to the fact that you say Jesus or Jesus Christ, and you, if you haven't noticed that one, try walking downtown and saying it, see what people say. It is absolutely critical that we step into this place and accept the walk that we're in. Now, I want to play this next piece for you. This is really good. And it's, it's about eight minutes, but it's right in line with what you hear from me, and it's focused, and it gets to the point of what we're saying here. We're warriors, and we're of a warrior class, and our tools are not of the tools that we normally think of. We hear the things like iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. 
We know that in Psalms 27, 8, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts and with my song, I shall thank him. We hear in, in Psalm 18, 39, you, for you are girded me, for you have girded me in the, for the strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. Everything, there's so much in the scripture is about the war. The issue is that what are our tools? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculation and ever every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever our obedience is complete. Those are words of a fighting warrior. And the critical thing here is in a world where everything is made to be physical, what we're actually witnessing around us is the manifestation of spiritual darkness that's coming through what I would just refer to so many of these people, unfortunately, are just meat sacks. They've lost their way, they have no eyes on God, and they've become consumed by the demonic. Our real war sits around us every day, and it you can fight all you want with, with guns and knives and bombs, but you're never going to defeat it because unless we take the tools that we have been given for warfare to accomplish, to attack and subdue these demons and the demonic realm that's around us, it will continue to grow. And those tools come through a variety of mechanisms from deliverance to prayer to healing and to raising the dead, always in alignment with Father God and the kingdom. But we have been given the tools and the authorities to do that. And it's for us to step into this mighty place as warriors and to be the warriors on this time in this hour. Eight minutes, 30 seconds. Listen. Thursday, September 7, 2023, 7 o'clock in the evening. Welcome to the Fourth Watch. This is a video response, but it's aimed at everyone. So I'm going to give you the cliff notes up front. If you want to listen to this and keep watching after the first minute, by all means, continue, but buckle up. First and foremost, God hates religion, all of them. God sent Christ. He told us to be Christ-like. God didn't tell us to be nice. God doesn't need you to be nice. God needs you to be Christ-like. Do you think that the money changers that were operating in the synagogue thought Jesus was nice when he flipped over their tables? You think that Pontius Pilate, when he was questioning Jesus, thought Jesus was nice when Jesus kept avoiding the questions and putting the onus back on him? You think the Pharisees and Sadducees thought Jesus was nice when he was having thousands upon thousands of Jews question their political structure? No. What you want has to be subject to what God wants for you. And for every person hearing my voice, listening to this and watching this now, in God's infinite wisdom, he chose for all of us to be sent here on the edge of eternity on what's become the greatest rescue mission a yard from hell. God doesn't make mistakes. You're here by design, on purpose, given all authority, power, and dominion over all serpents, all dragons, everything of this life. You're given armor. And armor was meant for a warrior class to go on the offensive, not to just sit there and take hits. Why do you keep thinking, any of you, at any point, that how you came into faith and were born into faith is going to be how you end up? Every single one of you should be growing at a rate and scale where you don't just focus on milk 
and love. You focus on meat and war. A third of the Bible, a third of it is about biblical prophecy. And most of the language used within that prophecy is destructive, violent, and war-based. You can say you don't like war, want God more. You can say you don't like violence, want God more than your dislike of violence. You can say you just want peace, want God more than what you want. Your faith is not about what you want. Your faith is about belief and action behind a risen king, not a perpetually dead and dying Christ on the cross, which is how Catholicism displays our king. Think about this, hypothetical. If I wanted to keep a whole swath of believers in Christian Candyland in the smallest aspect of their faith, how would I do it? I would always make them dependent on middlemen. I would always give them just enough milk and maybe a taste of meat to where they stay satiated and they just keep coming back for more and they never plug in directly to the source like they're told. I would keep them constantly coming back for a little more opiate. And then what does Jesus say? You go straight to the Father through me and nobody else. You have no other father besides your earthly father that you were born to, and then your heavenly father. And even then, Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword to turn parent against child. I'm saying this to not beleaguer Catholics, but I, I have some questions for you that I don't know if you can answer. Why is it that you pray to Mary as an intercessor, an intermediary between you and Christ? If you look at the Bible, when did Jesus look to Mary as an intercessor. He looked at John as an intercessor for Mary. Somewhere around seven years old, Jesus got lost. Mary couldn't find him. Could she have interceded then? So how about the wedding? She asked him to turn water into wine. And even then, his first response, woman, kind of indicates he didn't want to do it yet. Maybe that was a good test for him. But then go all the way to the cross. When Jesus asked Mary to look after the disciples, oh wait, he didn't do that. He asked John to look after Mary. If anything, why not have John be your intercessor, the one that you go to, that he was the one that arguably was closer to Christ. Why Mary? It's because you've been told something. Want God more. You've been told that you should do this thing. Want God more. You've been told and sprinkled in this name of the Holy Spirit, yet you don't have any of the actual giftings of the Spirit. So want God more. Oh, and you were told by your pastor or your priest, you just need to be a nice, good Christian. Oh, wait. Jesus said in the last days, beware. Many people will come in my name. They are wolves. They will deceive you, and if possible, even my elect. Historically speaking, churches, especially the Christian Roman Catholic Church, that they believe is the heart of all Christianity, God used it, but it was dark. It was born out of a political power struggle around the time of Constantine. Council of Nicaea, Council of Thessalonica, it goes all the way forward, and then guess what happens? It becomes a power broker, all for centuries, a power broker. But here's what's cool. God uses everything. God used that to bring the message to the Gentiles. And then you think, oh, the, the church is so good. The church does all these amazing things, right? Then comes Martin Luther. And then he translates <laughs> the Latin Bible into German. Oh, and the church is so nice, they kill him for it. And they kill his acolytes and, and associates. Fantastic. Oh, oh, you think it's still doing just great things because it just gives you good marketing and good message. Fantastic. You have to understand something. Where you start cannot be where you finish. Jesus said, you will know my followers. They will pray in other tongues. They will cast out devils. They will heal the sick. They will cleanse lepers. They'll pick up serpents, be bitten, not die, and drink poison and not die. Do you even desire to do any of those things? Whoever you are, Catholic or not. Do you even desire it? Do you even wake up and say, God, I want to be filled with spiritual gifts. I want to not be part of that dark prophecy in 2 Timothy. It says a form of godliness, but denying its power. I want to be a form of godliness, right? We're made in his image. I want to be a form of godliness filled with his power. 
I want to be a form of godliness on assignment, setting the captives free according to Isaiah 58. I want to be so filled with spiritual gifts and supernatural wonder that as Daniel 11 says, people will come to God out of intrigue. And then as you see the world falling apart and all of Humpty Dumpty's men with all the intellectual, emotional, philosophical faith, they can't do anything with it. It's now just a pantheon and a game of whack-a-mole of what mental malady do you have today? It's not God on display. That's not God operating through us. That's not the Holy Spirit completely championing the power of God in society. No. So at what point do you think that your faith can stay the same on the greatest rescue mission a yard from hell? If there's ever time to step forward in faith and question your allegiances and loyalties to man-made religion, ask God, do you like my religion? Do you agree and approve of my religion? Do you agree and approve with the people that are leading at the head of a thing? All sorts, God uses all sorts of people, institutions, churches, places. He uses all sorts of things for all sorts of good and also uses all sorts of things to leave us to our own devices. God is not trying to win a popularity contest. God is trying to see who among us is loyal, who among us is fearful of him for all the right reasons. Reverential fear is an amazing thing. I thank you for your comments. I thank you for all your time, whoever's watched this, but listen, How you start cannot be how you finish. However you came into faith cannot be how you die in faith. I pray to God that when Jesus said, you'll know my followers when they do these things, that you desire zealously to do those things and to be known to where if you were dragged into court, there would be such a preponderance of evidence against you that the whole world knew that you were not just Christian, but on fire and filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray to God, each person watching this video, at the very least starts with desiring that and says, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want meat. Thank you for the milk. Thank you for how you brought me into faith. Thank you for everything that you've done for me leading up to this point. But at this point going forward, I want meat. I want to do the will of my father, which means I need to be filled with spiritual gifts and anointings. I need to set the captives free. That should be your heart. I know that your comment was trying to correct my thinking as far as aligning with your thinking on the church. I don't want to be aligned with anyone's thinking on the church. I want to be aligned with God's thinking on the church. I want God's heart for me, my life, my family, my purpose, my passion, my calling, my anointing. And I want God's perspective on everything that's happening around me. Because if I don't have that, I have nothing. If my face isn't in that word of God every single day, driving at God's heart for my life and his purpose and plan for my life, I have nothing. And if I think and you think that we can get it from religion and middlemen and proxies and priests and some sort of magical intercessor when Psalm 15 says the dead don't praise the Lord nor do any who go down in silence? What makes me think God hears my prayers through somebody else that's an idol? Why is Jesus not enough? In the name of Jesus, I pray you receive this, not to chop down what you believe, your church that you go to, but just to say, want God more. Want Jesus more. That's it. God bless. Godspeed. I have work to do. Amen. And he does, and we all do. I've said many times, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, that the fact of the matter is that if God called me right now and said Jesus will be here in an hour, I would tell God I'll be out here doing my work when Jesus needs me. Have him come pull me from the front lines. This fight never ends. And you have to seek and pursue God greater than anything you've ever wanted, but right now. And there is nothing greater than the relationship in God, nothing greater than the relationship and pursuit with Jesus. And all of these things are the institutional barriers and institutional anchors that they put on us and put on many. Fortunately, I never grew up in the church. I've been freed of it, and it's given me a good optic to look back on it and say, what's wrong? 
But every single person needs to be seeking those greater gifts that he's given us. We should all be seeking to, outside of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is fundamental, everybody should be seeking to heal the sick and heal the broken, to cast out demons, to raise the dead, and to do greater works. And you know, it's funny because when you say raise the dead, I can tell you that you can just feel the world's eyes look and roll at you, especially the Christians in the pews going, what are you talking about? We're talking about what Jesus told us to do. We're talking about what the warriors of this world are about. We're talking about what 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 6 says, for, we, for, through, we, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of a fortress. We have great authority and great power, and we are not going to defeat this enemy that keeps growing and encroaching on all of us by just standing back, waiting for, for whatever's going to come, expecting Jesus to divinely come down and pick us up and swoop us up and throw us to heaven. That is not why we are here. And I truly mean this when I say this. If you are a person that struggles with that, that waits for the moment when you're going to be drawn home, you're wasting your damn time. And you're doing a disservice to God. He's looking for those that seek his heart, that want to stand in this world and to bring heaven to earth. He's looking for those warriors that will be reach to him and want to go greater than he. That is truly the place we need to be. We have been given a sacrifice of God's son, not to sit on our butt and wait for a moment when we're supposed to simply be pulled away because the world gets a little too tough. I'll tell you, if you have not, and I hope all have, read the details of the crucifixion and place yourself and imagine every blow of a whip, every piece of flesh that was hanging off your body. I want you to imagine that pain of the power and the pain of a spike going through your hand, of going through your ankles. It's, it's an unbelievable level of pain. So when we get in a place where people are like, oh, I hate this world, take me away, Jesus. Words have the power on life and death. Even in said in jest, it's not a joke in these realms. We are intentional as beings and must become intentional in everything that we do. And that focus and of having God's heart in all doesn't mean you can't have laughter and joy, but we have to understand that our words do literally have the power of life and death. And it is there that these people that are fighting against us, they use spell casting so that we will convert our words into their power. Do you understand that? They have no power. The authority of this world is given to us. We have the authority. They use us to give them the authority by spellcasting. All they have to do is to tell us, to convince us to be something, and we say, yes, we are. If we say, we're in pain, then we have lost. They say, you need to be sick, and we say, I'm sick. Boom. They just got the authority. They say, you will not walk. And we say, I can't walk. And boom, we get the authority. They get the authority from us. They say, we're going to burn down a town, Lahaina. And we say, it'll take decades to ever recover, if ever. And boom, we give them the authority. 
We have got to get past this and start to raise up to be the true power and the glory of who we are. Doctors are the worst. Doctors are the worst. They spell cast your doom. You have cancer. You have three months to live. And we go, I have cancer. I have three months to live. We just spoke the words that they gave us and the, the, the spell cast takes hold and the authority that they needed is given to them. None of this is a, is a world to walk lightly or unconsciously. We were never intended to that, but that's what they have done to the greater part of humanity, which is to put them under a spell of convenience and gadgets and gimmicks to take on things like artificial intelligence so we don't have to use our brain for anything. We can have something else do it for us. What is that enticement? I'll never figure it out. Why do people want something, some technology, somebody to do things for them? Why do people want a slave? People can't legally have a slave, but they all want robots. And they're anxious to have them. So many people want them. They want robots to clean my house, to do the things that I, w I don't want to do. They, I hear this all the time. What is the compulsion to want to have something do your work for you? Why is it that getting your hands dirty and digging in becomes a difficult task or a task we don't want to do? We walk in a city each day everywhere we are. It doesn't matter where you are. There are homeless these days. It is a cancer that's growing. What do we do about it? Do we pray into it? Do we work with it? We deal with technologies. Here's one. I came across this yesterday in talking to a friend, and it was an eye-opener for me. We deal with technologies, technologies that has been specifically designed by them, the enemy, to take away our power and give them authority. That's why they do the things like biometric scans. That's why they collect your data. That's why they take and scrape everything from you. In the early Industrial Revolution, it was coal. Coal drove every single major industry. China's going through that same phase. Their, their primary issue source of power is coal. Why? Because coal is cheap. It's easy to make those power plants. They burn them and they generate fuel. They also generate a lot of waste. In this day, the open pit coal mine is us. We are the new source of energy. They take everything from us on, this, on these platforms. They strip away your identity. They take away your data. They take away your biometrics. Your unique fingerprint, they steal it and take it and hold it because in the contract it says that it's theirs once you give it to them. And little by little, they're taking away pieces of us to dismantle us, to remake us in a digital world, an avatar that has three dimension and four dimension. And we don't even sit down each day and pray against it on our machines. We don't bless our equipment and ask for God to look over and to protect us with a hedge of protection and to cast out the demons, which we should. But even here, this, we don't do this. How many times have we prayed in to say, God, Give me the understanding of the technologies that will bring us to an alignment with kingdom. What does that walk look like? That's the heart of God. We're not seeking the heart of God in everything. We seek the heart of God in specific things. We're really good at seeking the heart of God for healing. But what about the heart of God for how we walk and breathe and everything we do? That's the alignment we need. And when we start to get to those alignments and we start walking truly with God, this is where he's channeling us. And I'm telling you, it is where the walk we're on if we will open our hearts to what he's presenting and the doors are being opened because the miracles of God are coming. We haven't seen anything yet. Lahaina? 
Yeah, they destroyed a city. They'd used some dew. They used some other things to light a fire. They burned down things, and they made a big deal out of it and made the world think that, oh, my goodness, they're so powerful. We can't stop them. I've heard that too many times. We can't stop them. We can't stop them. They have space-based systems or air-based systems. What are we going to do? We're doomed. I'm like, seriously? Seriously? You're a child of the Most High. You really think that God cares about these stupid little toys? You haven't seen anything yet. But he's letting, the, he's letting them play their cards. And he's looking for the heart of the remnant to stand and do the right thing, to trust in him. This is the moment of Gideon's separation of his army, to water it down to the pure 300. And when that 300, in a metaphor, that stands up finally and says, God, I'm here all in really says all in. Watch the miracles shake the world. We pray for that miracle in Lahaina as we should. Will God bring, a, bring that about? God hears our prayers. That's God's will. But I will tell you what, when God moves in this next phase, God isn't going to move by burning up a little city. You're going to see mountains shift, continents move. You're going to see things happen that only God can do, and it will bring people to their knees. And he's going to trust and rely on his remnant to hold the line and to be on the front lines of that, to be the deliverers of many of these miracles because he's given us the authorities to do just that. So this is a time to choose, not a time to play, not a time to hesitate, not a time to waffle about, well, I don't know if I can do this or that. You can do anything you put your mind to. And if you're in alignment with the heart of God, all things are possible and will become possible. And that's the primary mission right now, is to sort away and clear away the clutter of things that aren't important. To strip away the doubts and the fear and to step in now boldly in that warrior space and say, I'm here, I'm ready, let's go. There can be no fear, there's no doubt. We have to keep informed on the enemy, that's part of understanding your enemy. But no matter what the enemy says they're going to do, we have God, he can do greater. Someone said to me, what are they going to do with this new thing that they learned how to do up in Yale where they can aerosolize mRNA and we can breathe it? And I said, I'm simply going to tell God I need protection and we're going to trust in him and I've got the armor. We're going to have protection because we'll pray on it and we'll defeat it. We are so much greater than we acknowledge. But as we start to waller in this physical world, when we allow ourselves to wallow in this physical world, we become lesser. And we like to tell ourselves great stories about why we can't do something and what, what burdens we carry, whatever that is. Fact of the matter is, when we step into the world as the children of the Most High and accept that and trust in God, all things are overcomable and all things are possible. And there's no limit to that achievement level. You know, it's not like uh, you can only go to level two, please, because you didn't put enough coin in the machine. That's not the way it works. You want to go to a level 10? You want to go to a level 100? Go. God didn't say you can't. We just have to trust in him and seek his heart and walk the path that he seeks for us. The enemy is afraid of this. This is why they're working overtime accelerating things. If you really want to know, if you look at the world, you have to ask yourself a really interesting question. Why, after hundreds of years of 
executing literally a perfect plan, why in the last 10 meters of the race where they can see the finish line, are they in such a hurry to get things done? And I can answer that because it has to do with two things. It has to do with the awakening of the true understanding of who the children of the Most High really are. And it has to do with God, who's about ready to unleash his miracles and his wrath through his remnant. And they know it. and They don't know what to do about it. And they know that justice is coming. We have a big mission ahead of us. We have a huge responsibility in this world. Our words, like I said, they are the power of life and death. Our lives have to be with intention. And we have to push ourselves beyond any boundary you've ever thought possible. And when you're tired and you're thinking it's too much, well, that's one of the greatest posters I've ever seen. A beautiful line drawing of a soldier with a 120-pound pack. Kneeling down, his head low, and Jesus standing above him. And when people don't read the this, this words underneath the poster, they assume it's like, oh, look, look at that. Jesus is blessing him. But that's not what the words say. The words say this, get up, soldier, and pull security. You see, there's no time to get weak. There's no time to have self-pity. There's no time to be wallowing in pain. It's time to stand up and walk with Jesus. Get it right. Stand and get on the wall and stand in the gap because this war is real and God is just warming up. Let's pray. Father God, thank you tonight for this really blessed conversation and wisdom poured upon us. And Father, we seek meat. We need the meat of what is here to raise us up mighty as warriors in this hour. And this is a time, Father, we ask for the blessings for those to feel it upon their heart to raise up the warriors in Christ. Those that are willing to step into that gap fearlessly. This is a time now, Father, to embolden those lines. And those. so that prayer tonight is focused on those that are hearing that call to give them the strength to stand up boldly, to be fearless in this hour, and to have clarity in the path that you want each one to walk. Father, this is a time when we're asking for your clarity for each step going forward. And we're saying this on the eve of what we know is truly going to be a blessed event, which is Bard's Fest coming up in two weeks. And so, Father, as we pray into that and we pray for what's coming, we say, give us the guidance, the clarity of where you need us to be. Help stir the heart of the warrior within us. Give us the understanding of the tools that we have of war that are greater than we even know. And open those doors, Father, for we're ready to walk through. Hear our heart, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. This is a mighty hour that we all live in. We can feel it. Everyone can feel it. We don't know the time exact, but that's okay. We don't need to. Because you don't need the time when you're locked in with Father and you're listening to Him and you have His heart and He has yours. You just know that wherever He's got you is the right place. All you have to do is lean in 
Get that armor on and be bold, and he'll guide your hand. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. for Bended Knee. Remember, starting tomorrow, Bended Knee is 6 a.m., Monday through Friday. And Sunday is the new time for the prayer time, for prayer for healing. And that will be at 6 a.m. Sunday, Pacific time. These are all Pacific times. Okay. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something I just want to breathe